This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let's pray. Lord God, as we gather for worship, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us today in in such a way that our lives would change, not just for a bit, but from here on out. Lord, touch us and move us with your sacrificial love. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. During the summer of 2020, I was on a Zoom call with about 50 different leaders from our area. If you remember back to to 2020 in the summer of that, that's right after the George Floyd murder. And as we were in that Zoom call, then race became a part of that conversation. And as we were conversing, I'll just be honest, I had to be picked up like off the floor because I was blown away because I couldn't believe what I was hearing because I heard about something I don't really think I ever heard of before. I heard about redlining. Redlining is that discriminatory practice where minority groups are not allowed equal access to loans and housing opportunities. Redlining really took root and and had its grips on things in the 1930s. And even though that was 90 years ago, understand that that is still shaping the social landscapes of many of our cities in the United States, including Milwaukee. The practice of redlining is corrupt. Corruption is is when something isn't good. It's when things are not the way that God intended them to be. Think more globally. Corruption, an example of that is, is how can a Haitian child die of hunger when the world is full of food? How can a Rwandan woman lose her home and her property because she also lost her husband? That's corrupt. Corruption usually happens when people are seeking out power, wealth, or comfort. Today, as Pastor Ben mentioned, we're continuing on in our series, Origins, and we're looking at the book of Genesis, the first handful of chapters in the book of Genesis, and today we're going to be camping out in Genesis 6 through 9, and we're going to answer this question, what is the solution to systemic corruption? Let's jump in. Genesis 6. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. People were corrupt. 
don't know about you, but when, when I hear the word corruption, what I, what I often think of are, are the most evil and wicked and vile and violent things that happen in our world. I think of oppression where those who are in power continue on to make things so that they will not only remain in power, but actually gain more power and suppress other people and limit their opportunities. When we think of corruption, we think of things like bribery, extortion, and blackmail. When we think of corruption, we think about people who, who make really low wages or, or lower wages, and it's maybe just because they're working for the same company but in a different co- country, or when someone doesn't make a, a fair wage because of their race or their gender. We think of corruption. We think about when, when innocent people get charged and found guilty. But you know, as, as we look at God's definition of corruption, it actually goes deeper down and farther than that. The word corrupt means to change from what is solid and good to something that is decaying. It speaks of something that, that at one time was whole and well, but is now deteriorating, disintegrating, rotting, and dying. And this is how really all of that starts. Corruption all starts when people began to disregard God and his truth. It becomes a free-for-all. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does good. Did you catch the add-on that God adds for corruption? It's not just the vile and and the violent and the wicked and the evil things that are done. It's also the good things that are left undone. All the good that's left undone, that's corruption as well. That's the way it was way back in Genesis 6 and today. One of the ways that corruption becomes systemic is when we say, I win, you lose. There's only a certain amount of resources, and we're competing for them, and I win, you lose. I earned what I have. I worked hard for what I have. I didn't take any government handouts. I didn't get any help from anyone else. I just worked hard. I made good decisions. I made smart decisions. And now I am where I am at. I have the power, the wealth, the comfort that I have all based on my hard work and my earning and making good decisions. It's not my fault that you don't have those things. It's not my fault you didn't work hard enough. It's not my fault you didn't make good choices and decisions. I win. You lose. Another 
idea or concept, philosophy that, that keeps corruption going to the degree that it becomes systemic is, is not only I win, you lose, but win, win. This concept kind of became popular about 30 years ago when we understood that we're a whole lot more interconnected than we ever thought. And so we, we moved to more of a win-win thing. And the win-win idea is this is I'm blessed and you're in need. I'll meet your individual need. I'll meet your need in this circumstance at this time. You'll win because your need is being met at that moment, and I'll win because I'll feel good about myself for helping you out. Win-win. And, and I will meet those individual needs as I am able, as long as it doesn't hurt me too deeply. Win-win. I'll give to you out of my abundance, but if things get a little dicey, I'm not going to go there. So what's the solution to systemic corruption? Well, it's not, I win, you lose. Nor is it even win-win. So what's the solution to systemic corruption? What's the solution to the corruption that's in my heart and your heart? Let's go back to, to Genesis chapter 6. Some of you will recognize these chapters as the, that part of the Bible where it talks about that epic flood, okay? Where the people were corrupt. God destroyed the world through the, the flood, and he made a promise to Noah, and not only to Noah, but to you and me, that he would never destroy all life again through the means of a flood. And he gave us a sign, didn't he? Uh, a remembrance of this covenant with us, this promise with us. The, the sign is a rainbow. And whenever we see a rainbow, any number of us, we think back to, to Noah and the ark. One of the things that I think is, is kind of amazing is, is no matter how old we are, no matter how many times we've seen a rainbow, whenever there's a rainbow out there, we're like, oh, cool, look, a rainbow. I've been about six weeks ago. We had this awesome rainbow, and it decorated any number of our social media pages. It's like we'd never seen one before. Genesis 9, this is what God says. He says, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. It's God's covenant, his promise. But I want you to know that God even has a better covenant, a, a better promise, a greater covenant and promise for you and me than the rainbow. And, and this, this first promise uh, of this covenant even actually happened before the flood. And it happened hundreds of times. The promises, hundreds of promises after the flood. It's the promise of the Savior. The promise of the Savior of all sin, including the sins of systemic corruption, 
and my and your own corruption as well. So the Savior brings us solutions to corruption. It's not I win, you lose, nor is it win-win. Let's check it out. Okay, and so what I want you to do right now is just close your eyes. And as your eyes are closed, imagine that you have your dream home. Okay. And as you're picturing your dream home, picture that you're in the front yard of your dream home. What's your dream home look like from the outside? How tall is it? How many stories? What color is it? What's your lawn look like? Are, are, are there trees? Are there bushes? Are there flowers? What do the front doors of your dream home look like? Now picture yourself, you're walking through the front doors of your dream home. And your home, man, it is elegant. It's amazing. It's extravagant. And as you walk through those front doors, you find yourself, the next room you find yourself in is your living room. It's big and spacious. What's the flooring made out of? Do you have wood floors or is it carpeted? What color are the walls? What decorations do you have up? Where's your couch located? The other chairs in there. It's so cozy and comfortable. Imagine now you, you leave your living room and you go to the dining room. Oh man, this place is spectacular. As you're standing in your dining room, what, what, what again are you standing on? What, what, what's your flooring? Wood or carpet or, or whatever it is. What color are the walls? What do the lights look like in your dining room? How big's your dining room table? What color is it? Do you have a tablecloth on your dining room table? What do the chairs look like that are around that dining room table? Do, do they have cushions on them? you move from the dining room to your super amazing kitchen. Do you have an island in your kitchen? What color are the countertops? The backsplash? The walls? What, what kind of appliances do you have? What, what kind of features do your appliances have? It's amazing. As you think about your dream home, how many bathrooms and bedrooms does your dream home have? Imagine you're in your master bedroom, your master bedroom. What color is it painted? What's the flooring? Where's your bed at in your master bedroom? Do you maybe have a reading nook in there? How many pillows are on top of your bed? 
so wonderful. Just, just one last stop in your dream home. Just the garage. It's spick and span. It's clean and it's, it's got your dream cars in there. What is your dream car? Now imagine you give your dream home away. You don't sell it. You give it away and you walk out the doors and you have nothing left. Open your eyes. You understand, right, that Jesus left his dream home for you. As the son of God, Jesus had everything. And when I say everything, I mean absolutely everything. And he left it all behind to be the son of man. And as the son of man, when he was born, he was placed in a cow's food bowl. And when he grew up, he was homeless. And when he got older than that, he was up in a tree. Not a tree house that maybe some of you thought about in your dream home property. But he was fastened to the tree. He was crucified on the cross. Jesus gave up everything, everything for you. Philippians 2 says, in your relationship with one another, in your relationships, in society, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's not, I win, you lose. That's not, win, win. That is, I sacrifice, you win. That's the kingdom value of meeting people where they are at. 
Jesus didn't succumb to favoritism. He didn't succumb to power or wealth or comfort. He sacrificed. He gave it all up. And he went to the downtrodden, the weak, the poor, the sick, the corrupt. And met people in their deepest need. And what did he get out of it? He was misunderstood, misrepresented, rejected, falsely charged, found guilty, and was murdered to take away all of our sins, including our sins of corruption. Jesus said, I sacrifice you when. Scripture says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what's the solution to systemic corruption? Jesus' sacrifice is our win over systemic corruption. See, in all of this that Jesus did, in all of this that he did, in all of this that he gave up, he is first and foremost our Savior. That's important. First and foremost, he is our Savior. But secondly, he is also our model. We are to imitate him. We are blessed not so that we can make more storerooms for all the things that we have. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others, so that we can reflect the glory and the love of God on other people. Scripture says this to you and me, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Rather than fighting over our rights, rather than fighting or feeling guilty over our responsibilities, Jesus says, serve one another in love. And just so you're clear, serve one another in love. Love sometimes hurts. And love is also full of joy. Check it out, Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
I sacrifice, you win. That's far different than I win, you lose. That's even far different than win, win. I sacrifice, you win. That's a lifestyle of giving grace and generosity. So some take-homes for us. Just straight up, being religious, that won't cut it. Not gonna work. We have to get out of our seats whether that's seats in church, whether that's seats at home or seats in our car, we have to get out of our seats and onto the streets and meet people where they're at. We have to get out of our seats and onto the streets, and that includes the digital highway, and meet people in their deepest needs where they're at. You see, instead of power, their servanthood. How can I serve you? Instead of wealth, there's generosity. God has blessed me so richly, I want to bless you. Instead of comfort, there's sacrifice. I want to give up the good life if it means that you can have a life that's good. Later this month and into early next month, we're gonna hold a food drive and we're gonna partner with Countrydale Elementary School. We're gonna meet people's needs. Now, the thing is, is Based on what we talked about today, not I win, you lose, not win, win, but I sacrifice, you win. What does your donation to that food drive look like? I sacrifice, you win. Five, six weeks, we'll be at Thanksgiving. Many of you know what we do with our Thanksgiving offering around here. Based on what we talked about today, I sacrifice, you win. What does your Thanksgiving offering look like? Who are you going to serve? Maybe the street angels? Maybe the guest house? Who are the marginalized, the weak, the, those with special needs? How are you going to share the love of Christ? How are you going to share that you look and act like Jesus? Author and theologian Andy Couch says, the most transformative acts of our lives are likely to be the moments when we radically empty ourselves in the very settings 
where we would normally be expected to exercise our authority. Sometimes the smallest step in the right direction becomes the biggest step in our life. Here's my suggestion for your first step. Follow the steps of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to look more like you. We want to soak it all in what you did for us and how much you love us. And we want to share that love. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us to the degree that we not only experience the love that you have for us, but that we allow and enable other people to experience the love you have for them, not only by our words, but also by our sacrifice. Pray this in your powerful, loving, saving, and sacrificial name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.